You know, over this last month, we've been talking about uh, what that song sung to us about, and that is like, why did Jesus come as he came? Why did he come in a body? You know, he sent us this message in a body when he could have sent us a message in any other form. He could have come with hosts of angels and just shown his dominance and just kind of put everybody in their place. He could have taken the decision away from us, but instead what he chose to do was to come as a little baby to empty himself of his divinity, as Philippians 2 tells us, and to become as a powerless child so that he could show us the love of having a choice. You know, Jesus came uh, to to redeem us. Jesus came to live a sinless life and to die on the cross. And uh, at every turn, he did the things that he did in such a way that we would have the choice to accept him or not. Jesus doesn't show up with armies of angels because then the choice goes away. Right? All of a sudden, it's like, submit or you're in trouble. And everybody gets the message, right? But he comes as a baby to show us the way of love. And he, the way he comes, he's able to show us that he came to serve us. Like our king, like it came out of heaven, emptied himself of his divinity, and came to serve you and me. I, I, I'm, I'm still just blown away. Like I think about standing face to face with Jesus and looking at him in the eye and, and, and saying, you know, I will do anything for you. And him looking back at me and saying, I would do anything for you. You know, like what can I do to serve you? And I just think, no, that somehow that doesn't make sense. But yet Jesus said, I came to serve not to be served. He came to serve us. He came to strengthen us. You know, every... every boss I've ever had, every uh, person over me and I, and I see in, you know, around, they all want my abilities and my skills and everything to kind of serve them and their agenda. Yeah? They, make, they want me to make them look better, you know, and, 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 and to be good. But Jesus says, no, I've come to strengthen you. Like, like what do you need to be strengthened? And I'm like, that, that doesn't make sense. Like, I should be, and the whole narrative should be me just pouring out everything for you, me giving you everything. And Jesus says, no, if I had wanted that, I would have come in a different way. I came to show you. I came to serve you. I came to strengthen you. This is why we love him. He came to say, listen, you were born of Adam. You are born a descendant of Adam. You are born with a sin nature. You are born not deserving to enter into the presence of God. In fact, what you and I deserve is to be separated from God for all of eternity. But Jesus said, I've come to change your lineage. No longer will you be a descendant of Adam. Instead, you will be an heir of God. I will change your bloodline. And now you are grafted in and adopted by God, and now you belong to him. We are not worthy to be in his family, but we are invited to be in his family. This is what Christmas is about. This is why Jesus came. The way that he came was to show us all of these things. You know, while Jesus was here on earth, he talked a lot about what it means to be separated from God for all of eternity and uh, what what it means to, to be in hell. And to be separated from him. And there's no doubt in my mind that that's part of the reason that Jesus came and came the way that he did. Was because he looked forward to a day. There's coming a day for all of us when we will stand before God and a book will be opened. And in that book will be everything that you've done, everything that you've said, and everything that you've thought. And I am terrified of that book. And if you have an understanding of that book, you should be terrified too. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you're perfect and you never even thought something that you wouldn't want everybody to know. (laughs) I've thought a lot of things this morning that I wouldn't want everybody to know. Right? 
And it's going to be read in that book. And you're going to be standing there, and, and, and it's going to be like, hey, I don't deserve to go into heaven. But Jesus saw that day, and he said, I don't want them standing there alone. I'm going to stand there with them. And after that book has been read, and after you're standing there feeling like, I know I don't deserve to be with you, God, Jesus is going to say, wait, open the other book, the book of life. And see, there's a list of the names of those that have been redeemed. And my name will be in that book because I've put my confidence in the Savior. Amen? And I know that Jesus saw that day and saw me standing alone, having heard everything that I have done and thought and said. And he said, I'm not going to leave him there standing alone. I'm going to go. I'm going to be born and live and die so that I can stand with him and so that there can be another book. And we rejoice at Christmas time. And, you know, I think, why? Why, Jesus? Why do you want to stand with me on that day? Why do you want to do all of these things? And the reason is because he sees the amazing potential that is in you and me. Do you know you're created in the image of God? And in that image there is inherent power, that there is power in you. Power for this life and power for the next life. Jesus came to redeem everything in you, not just for this life, but for all of eternity. We're going to serve God, and it's going to be glorious. There's no standing around in some white, um, pasty heaven that's boring. No, it's going to be serving God in, in, in ways that are meaningful. And it's going to be an incredible experience. And if you missed part three of this series, please just go back. Part two was about hell. You, you don't want to listen to that. But part three <laughs> was about I mean, you do, but you know. Um, but part three was about how we're going to be serving God. And, and Jesus came because he saw that. He sees the potential in us, and he wanted to redeem that. And you know, Christmas, this Christmas season is designed to remind us of all of those truths, to remind us of all of these reasons that Jesus came. When we celebrate that baby, we remember how he came and, and the love that he showed to us. And our Christmas is filled with symbols that remind us of these things. But sometimes I worry that we, we've lost the meaning of those symbols, even the symbols that are at the heart of Christmas. And so this morning, in a certain sense, there's not really a, a, a new message. We, we, we've got uh, an understanding of why Jesus came. But today we want to make sure that the symbols that are around us at Christmas point to the truth of Jesus. And so let's begin. I, I joke with you often about reading you the whole Bible, but today I have a scripture from Genesis, one from Luke, and one from Revelation. So we got the whole Bible today uh, in just a few short verses. And we're going to talk about the three trees that center the story of, of Jesus, the, the story of the Bible. And, and look at these trees and recognize what the Christmas tree should symbolize to us. Genesis chapter 2, starting at verse 8, it says this. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden were the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord God commanded the man, You are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will certainly die. In Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. 
Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what they had been told about, to them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Revelation chapter 22, starting at verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his servants will serve him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. There will be no more night. They will not need the light of a lamp or the light of the sun, for the Lord God will give them light, and they will reign forever and ever. Let's pray together. God, we rejoice in who you are today. Lord, as we stand here on this Christmas Eve, God, we come with joy in our hearts. God, we come with praise in our mouth. God, declaring that you are good, declaring, Lord, that you humbled yourself, Lord, to be one of us, that you could live and die for us. God, and this great gift is more than we can fully grasp. And so, Lord, we turn to you and we pray, God, that you would be honored, that you would be blessed. Lord, come today as we share your word. Open our hearts to who you are. Lead us and guide us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen and amen. You know, I love symbols. I, I, I love symbols that have a deeper meaning. And uh, when we were in uh, Jerusalem, we were in Israel the end of two, 2022, uh, we were walking around Jerusalem, and I began to see this symbol everywhere that I went. And I've got, there's a bigger one up there for you to be able to see it. And this symbol is known as the Jerusalem Cross. And uh, somebody explained this to me, because, I mean, you see it everywhere, so you start asking questions like, what is that all about? You know, it looks a little, uh, I don't know, it doesn't kind of ring like a cross to me at first. Um, but you see this everywhere, and it's known as the Jerusalem cross. And they explained to me that the cross in the center is symbolic, first of all, of the cross of Calvary. It is the cross, but also of Jerusalem as, in their minds, the center of the world, right? I mean, this is where uh, God's uh, throne will be, and so they see Jerusalem as the center of the world. Then the four uh, crosses around it are the four Gospels, and it symbolizes the Gospel going to the four corners of the earth. So there, everywhere that you go in Jerusalem and all the sites that you visit that have to do with uh, Jesus, uh, you know, events in Jesus' life, you see the Jerusalem cross. And this, for me, became a very important symbol because I began to see it everywhere, and it just became meaningful for me, and I began to wrap everything I was learning and feeling and, and growing there in the Holy Land. You know, you're there, and you're feeling it, and you're like, I think Jesus really walked here, and it just kind of freaks you out a little bit, and uh, you're having all those feelings. And this became the symbol of 
of that for me, just kind of the symbol of that trip. In fact, so much so that I not only bought one for myself, but I bought one for all the people around me, and I came home like Oprah, like, you get a Jerusalem cross, and you get a Jerusalem cross, right? Because this just became such a powerful symbol for me. But you know what this is? In the end of the day, it is just a symbol, It's a symbol that brings to my mind memories, that brings to my mind thoughts and truths uh, about Jesus that I learned in Israel and and, and truths and feelings that I had while I was there on that trip. You know, you probably have some symbols and things in your life that remind you and maybe bring back memories to you. I don't know, maybe your dad was a truck guy and he was one of those truck guys that only had Chevrolets, right? And I know that there's people in the room like, oh, that's not good, you know, there's uh, whatever. But if you see this little bow tie symbol, right, it just brings back to your mind the smell of your dad's truck and, and the fact that he would take you all the places and, and so that you could just see that symbol. And there's nothing magical about that symbol, right? All of the non-Chevy people will say, yeah, there's nothing magical about that symbol. <laughs> but what does that symbol do? It reminds you of something. It brings to your, it brings to your mind maybe not just the smell of your dad's truck, but the, the warmth of your dad's love. And how much, how much it meant to you that he carried you around in that truck. Um, you know, uh, growing up, uh, didn't, didn't have a lot of money, and, and maybe you had that similar experience. And actually, a trip to McDonald's uh, was, a, was a special occasion, right? And uh, now, all you have to do is see the arches, right? And it just takes you back to happy days and happy meals, you know? And I, I know as adults, we, we are looking for an excuse to buy a happy meal. Okay, there's going to be squishmallows in the happy meal soon, and I'm... I've got to have an excuse. If uh, you want to loan me a kid, I'll take him to McDonald's, okay? It's just some cover to buy a Happy Meal. But maybe you see those arches, and uh, you know it's really probably not healthy for you, but you're like, you know what? It just brings back all the nostalgia, right? I remember back in the day when they had the birthday party room and, and uh, Grimace and the Hamburglar, right? And all those, all those guys running around. You know, Michelle grew up in Denver as a Denver Broncos fan and as a John Elway fan. John Elway is honestly the only man I've ever been jealous of as it relates to to my marriage. But, you know, the Broncos changed their logo um, in the late 90s. But this is the old Denver Broncos logo, and it reminds her of of cheering for the Broncos as a kid, right? I mean, this is the the Broncos that she grew up with. And, And, you know, there's just a power in a symbol. But at the same time, we remember it is just a symbol, and, and walking and threading that balance is something that's very important. And one of the ways that symbols become sort of meaningless to us and lose the, their ability to help us is when we forget what they actually mean. When we, when we uh, begin to set things out or do things, and this is going to happen easily at Christmas time, and we have a bunch of symbols all around us, and we don't know what those symbols actually stand for. You know, early in the, the life of the church, early in, you know, around the time of, of Jesus and, and later going forward, most of the people on the planet were illiterate. Most people couldn't read. In fact, over 80% of them were farmers, and you didn't really have to be able to read to be a farmer in the first century. Uh, you know, you just got the seed, put it in the ground, knew the rhythms of the time and how to grow things, and you grew it, you ate it, you sold it, and you did all of that. Didn't have to know how to read. So when the early church fathers began to try to teach the stories of Jesus and to teach proper theology and a proper understanding of Jesus, they couldn't say, you know, I can look at you and I can say, go home and read the Bible, right? Or read the Bible for yourself like the Bereans and you've probably heard me and I've beat you over the head, right, with the Bible and I'm like, go read the Bible. But they couldn't say that because the vast majority of people, 90-ish percent of the people, percent of the people couldn't read. 
So symbols and, and pictures became very important for the early church. Things like stained glass that could tell the story. Uh, things uh, like beads with memorized prayers that, that nobody had to read anything. But without the ability to read the Bible, without the ability um, to, to turn them to something that, that could anchor them, the church leaders began to misinterpret and use those stories however they wanted to, however it served them. I mean, you know, church leaders are perfect today, but back then they would... <laughs> you always laugh at that, and I think it's mean. Um, but, you know, they, would, they, they began to use those symbols in ways that were a little bit self-serving. And as the Protestant Reformation came, you know, we've t for some reason we've talked a lot about the Protestant Reformation here uh, in this series, but as uh, the Protestant Reformation began in earnest with Martin Luther nailing his 95 Thesis to the church in Wittenberg in 1517, um, the, the, the Reformers began to think a lot about symbols and a lot about how they were using them. And they, they took some of the symbols and they said, we can't keep these symbols anymore because the, the wrong teaching is so ingrained in that symbol that when people see it, they immediately refer back uh, to that wrong teaching. And they took other symbols and they said, how can we reimagine these? How can we point to these? And there's the, the story goes, and of course this is 500 years ago, so you know we, this is the story that's come to us, is that Martin Luther, and he's the lead reformer in, in uh, Germany uh, in 1517, and it was many, many years of my youth when I didn't understand the difference between Martin Luther and Martin Luther King Jr., okay? <laughs> um, so Martin Luther King Jr., 1900s, right? And uh, I know it makes us feel old when we refer to them as the 1900s. But, um, and uh, Martin Luther, 1500s, and uh, leading the Reformation in, in uh, Germany, and he's walking outside, and he looks up on a starry night, and he sees the, star, the stars through the fir trees. And it causes him to think about a symbol that he's grown up with all of his life. All of his life, he had a paradise tree. And the paradise tree was a symbol reminding them of Adam and Eve and reminding them of the decision that Adam and Eve had made. And this, the feast of Adam and Eve was on December 24th. Okay, the day before Christmas, and it had apples on the tree because of the tradition that it was an apple. Of course, the Bible doesn't say it was an apple, but the traditionally it was an apple, so it was decorated with apples. And so this tree came out as a reminder of our sin, as a reminder that we failed, as a reminder to teach us this story. And I do think it's important. Like Our kids need to know all of the stories, right? But Martin Luther was thinking about this tree and thinking, you know what? If I set this tree up in my house... You know, and I mean, we have our Christmas trees out for a long time. Our Christmas tree is going to be out until February. Just, you know, brace yourself. Because the house looks so bare, doesn't it? Like when you take the Christmas tree down and it's still winter and all that. So we leave it out. That's our excuse. But we're leaving it out until January, right? And he said, if I'm going to set this tree up, I'm not sure that I want a tree to be set up and just to remind me of my failure, to remind me of, of how miserable I am and that, you know, my ancestors ate the apple. In fact... This is Christmas. What we're celebrating is Jesus. What we're celebrating is life. And he said, as he looked and saw that fir tree and the stars around it, he said, I want a tree that reminds me of the truth of Jesus, that reminds me of my destiny. Remember, in the scripture that we read, there were two trees in the garden, right? There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and uh, of course, Adam and Eve failed by eating from that tree, but there was also the tree of life. And if you ate from the tree of life, you lived forever, and it healed your body. And, and God said when they ate from that tree of, of good and evil, uh, the knowledge of good and evil, God said, I can no longer give them access to the tree of life. 
But instead, what did Jesus, and Jesus came in order to give us that access. In, in Revelation chapter 22, the, the heading for that chapter in my Bible says, Eden restored, right? And Jesus comes to give us access in heaven to this tree of life that we can eat from it and be healed and live forever. Jesus came for this. And Martin Luther says, this is what I want our, our remembrance to be of. I want our remembrance to be of this tree here. Now, not every pastor could do this. Just want you to make note of that. <laughs> and, and so he puts on the top of the tree an angel or a star because that heralds Jesus and uh, he says, on, that, on this tree, he came home and he said, we're going to put candles on the tree, which I think was kind of crazy, but I mean, you know, it's like it's a real tree in a, in a rustic setting and you're going to have candles on the tree, right? Uh, obviously, he didn't have a cat. Um, <laughs> but they put real candles on the tree and he said, this tree now is going to symbolize for us, we're going to move away from the paradise tree and we're going to move to the tree that reminds us of the tree of life of our destiny. So when we see that Christmas tree, it's going to remind us of where we're going and what Jesus has done and where he's brought us to. Now, the tradition of giving gifts comes from a much earlier tradition. In the early 300s AD, there was a bishop, and you might have heard of him. His name it was St. Nicholas. Yeah, And uh, he was the bishop of Myra. And St. Nicholas was known for every Christmas season, he would give generous gifts to the poor. And he would take care of the poor. And so that when he died on December 6th, 343 A.D., the people said, you know what? We want to remember him by giving gifts to one another. First taking care of the poor and then giving gifts to one another. And that tradition merged with the tradition of the wise men giving gifts to Jesus and became a place, became the idea of us giving gifts to one another and those gifts being placed under this tree, this tree that symbolizes the tree of life. So that as we gather together on Christmas and we, we come and here's this tree that reminds us of the tree of life. It reminds us of our eternal destiny. It reminds us of all that Jesus has done. The angels has, have, have heralded it. The stars have led the way. And then it reminds us of that. From under that tree comes gifts, reminding us of the gifts of God, reminding us of when we are at that tree of life, all of the goodness of God that's going to flow out to us. And if you have the experience of, of a Christmas morning and it feels a little shallow and it feels a little empty when it's over and you're not sure about, well, I didn't get exactly what I wanted and I'm not sure she likes what I got her and all of those things. You know, those dynamics are real, but it's important to remember that that's not the main focus of the story. You know, it's good to give gifts. It's good to have the tree, but to remember in that moment, all that this is designed to remind us of to remember that when, when Adam and Eve sinned, God took the tree of life and he moved it into heaven. And we were no longer given access to it. But Jesus came so that he could live a sinless life, so that he could die on another tree, the tree of Calvary, so that we could then get access to the tree of life, that we can live forever with God in heaven. And as we sit around that Christmas tree, this is, the this is the reality that's supposed to come into our hearts and fill our hearts so that tomorrow morning, if you gather around a tree, tomorrow morning, this is the reality that should be heavy in the room. 
Yes, let there be joy of Christmas presents. Yes, let there be joy of whatever breakfast tradition that you have. Yes, let there be joy of all of those things. But at the core message, and in fact, the Christmas tree is kind of the core symbol, isn't it, of Christmas? We remember all three of these trees. I have failed. I do need a Savior. I do, through that Savior, have an eternal destiny in heaven. Jesus came to serve me even though I should be serving him. Jesus came to strengthen me even though he deserves everything that I have. Jesus came to make me a part of his family even though I don't deserve to be a part of his family. Jesus came because he didn't want me separated from God for all of eternity. But instead, he saw my potential, and he wanted me to have access to the tree of life. So tomorrow, as you come together for Christmas, maybe you don't have a Christmas tree, but you see them around, and you see that Christmas tree, and you're reminded that tree is a symbol. It's not magic. A symbol is just a symbol. But that symbol reminds me of the truth of Christ. It reminds me that Jesus came because he didn't want me to be lost without him. This morning, as you've come to church on this Christmas Eve, maybe you've come here for whatever reason. Maybe you're visiting family or somebody invited you to come to church on Christmas. I want to tell you that Jesus came for you. Jesus came for you. His consciousness is infinite, which means he came for each and every one of us as if we were individuals, the only one on the earth. When Jesus looks at us, he sees you as an individual. And he came to earth as a baby to live a sinless life and die for you. And maybe you're here on Christmas and I don't know what brought you here, but maybe you've come to believe in your heart that, you know what, I believe it's true. I believe that Jesus lived and died for me. And you need to surrender your heart to him. And I believe there's no better time to surrender to him than on Christmas when we remember just how good he is. Maybe you have the wrong idea that, that Jesus just wants everything from you, but Jesus came to serve you and to strengthen you. Maybe you have the wrong idea that, that he came so that to just crush your life and your dreams, but it's just the opposite. He came that you might have joy and have it to the full. He wants you to live a full life washed clean of your sins, surrendered to him who knows best. If you've come to believe that he is your savior, I want to encourage you this morning to ask him into your heart. In just a moment, we're going to pray a prayer, and I want to let you know that at the end of that prayer, I'm not going to call you forward. Nobody's going to call you out. Nobody's going to know the decision that you've made except for me, you, and the Lord. But I want to encourage you in this moment, on this Christmas Eve Sunday morning, if you've come to believe that Jesus really is who he claims to be, will you surrender your life to him? Can we bow our heads and close our eyes this morning? Jesus is extending this invitation to you. It's the reason for Christmas. He came because he, he came for you. He wants you to be redeemed. And if you've come to believe that Jesus is who he claims to be and you need to ask him into your heart, you need to be forgiven, you need to be restored and submitted to him as the Lord of your life, and you're willing to do that this morning, can you just as an act of faith just slip your hand up 
to the Lord and then put it right back down. Nobody's going to call you out. Nobody's going to come to you. I see those hands. Nobody's looking around except for me. You can slip your hand right up and slip it right back down. And we're going to pray a prayer in just a second. I see your hand. We're just going to pray a prayer all together. You're not going to be singled out, I promise you. But just taking that step of faith to lift your hand just shows God that you're serious. Can you just join these that have already raised their hand and just slip your hand up and put it right back down if that's you this morning. If you're online this morning, I don't know what brought you to the stream today, but God is as real with you in, in your room right now as he is in this room. And maybe even just even alone in a room somewhere, you can lift your hand to him and say, God, I need you to be my savior. Is there anyone else before we pray who would say, Pastor, I need that. I need to submit to the Lord. Can we pray this prayer all together out loud so that those that raise their hand are not singled out? Can you repeat after me? Dear Jesus, I believe that you were born. I believe that you lived and died for me. I ask you to wash me clean. Forgive me of my sins. Come and be the Lord of my life. Surround me with people who can help me learn about you. Help me to grow in your ways. Because your ways are the best ways. I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. I rejoice with you guys that made that decision today. And I want to encourage you. I didn't single you out. I told you I would and I'm not going to. But the scriptures say that when you confess Jesus with your mouth, that he confesses you to the Father. So I want to encourage you to find someone today that you know will be happy for you and tell them that you prayed that prayer. And the next time you have the opportunity to be baptized, you need to be baptized. That is the public way that we confess that Jesus is our Lord and Savior. And if you, that's the one thing that Jesus commanded us to do, is to follow him in baptism. And so I want to encourage you, next time baptism is offered, wherever, maybe you're not even from this church, but wherever baptism is offered, that you need to be baptized and publicly confess him as your Lord and Savior. My prayer is tomorrow that for all of us, that the truths of Jesus will be real. That as we see those Christmas trees, as we see those decorations, that they will have a meaning for us that will draw us into the truth of God's love for us. The God who came to serve us and to strengthen us, to change our lineage, to, to stand with us in our, in our darkest day. It'll remind us of who he is. He loves us so much. It's a Merry Christmas. Amen? Amen. As we stand together this morning, our prayer team is coming. And I know it's the holiday season, and, and uh, maybe, but maybe even in this season you have issues and things that are weighing on you, maybe appointments and, and uh, health issues, or maybe relatives that don't know the Lord and you would like to pray. Even as everyone else is dismissed and goes out, you can make your way forward. These folks would love to pray with you and encourage you. There's power in the agreement of prayer. Amen? Amen. God, I pray your blessing on your people as they go from this place. God, as we move into tomorrow, as we move into celebrating you coming, God, I pray that we would be overwhelmed with the idea of your love and that, God, that overwhelming love would give us a peace to know, God, that wherever we go, whatever we're doing and whatever we're facing, that you, God, love us 
and that you are able to see us through. And we pray, God, that peace upon your people. God, that it would be overwhelming, so much so that people around them would take notice and they would come and say, what's different about you? What is this peace that you have? And our answer will be, it's Jesus, my Savior who was born, my Savior who died, my Savior who redeemed me. God, I thank you for this peace, and I pray this blessing on your people now in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Peace be with you. Merry Christmas.